We're going to be starting out in the book of Daniel chapter 6 today. If you're flipping to that in your Bibles, Daniel chapter 6. Now while you turn there, I begin with a story of Ira Sankey from the Civil War. See, years ago when Ira Sankey was at the height of his ministry and traveling on a steamer in the Delaware River, he was recognized by some of the people on board. They had seen his picture in the newspaper and knew he was associated with evangelist D.L. Moody. You might have heard of him from Chicago. When he was asked to sing one of his own compositions, Sankey said he preferred the hymn by William Bradbury, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. He suggested that everyone should join in singing. Now one of the stanzas begins, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. When he finished, a man stepped out of the shadows and inquired, Were you in the army, Mr. Sankey? Yes, I joined in 1860. Did you ever do guard duty at night in Maryland, about 1862? Well, yes, I did. He said, well, I was in the Confederate Army, said the stranger, and I saw you one night at Sharpsburg. You were wearing your blue uniform, and I had you in my gun sight, and you stood there in light of the full moon, and then just as I was about to pull the trigger, you began to sing. Sankey was astounded at the, as he recalled the incident. He said, it was the same hymn you sang tonight, We Are Thine, Do Thou Befriend Us, Be the Guardian of our way. He said it was that same hymn, and I couldn't shoot you. You know, there's no doubt about it that God makes us stand firm when things around us seem to be crashing. And God strengthens us and He protects us. And so it's amazing what happens as we recognize and we trust in God as our protector. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And you see in the book of Daniel, chapter 6, if you've read some of the, the titles uh, written there in some of your Bibles, it might say Daniel in the lion's den or the lion's den. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. To uh, you know, bring the backstory of this, Daniel was one of 120 satraps or administrators for King Darius. And the king highly favored Daniel to the point where he was preparing him for one of the highest rules of authority in the nation. So this was a big deal. Daniel was right up there on the totem pole. And jealousy filled the hearts of the other satraps and administrators, and they tried to find faults in Daniel so they could stop him from moving up the totem pole, so to speak. And so as they tried to do this, they were unable because Daniel was following the laws of the land. Daniel trusted in God, and they couldn't find anything at fault with him. So what they decided to do was go a different route. They kind of went the hard way. And what they decided to do was find a way to make him break the rules. So they approached the king and asked him to put a decree into place that for the next 30 days, no one would pray to any god or human being except for King Darius, and that anyone who did not follow those rules should be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verse 8 is these administrators talking to the, um, to the king, and they say, Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so then, of course, King Darius goes ahead for whatever reason, and he liked the sound of that. He really enjoyed this prestigious honor, I guess you could call it, and so he went ahead and he did this. No one could repeal this decree, not even the king himself. And so Daniel had heard this decree, and he continued in his daily practice of praying to God. Why would he stop? He was a committed follower of God, and there was nothing going to stop him from his prayers. So Daniel got up in his room. 
He went up with his windows wide open in the second story of his home, in his upstairs room. In fact, he was praying and asking God for help in this moment because this was obviously a difficult situation. So the satraps and administrators saw this happening, and they approached the king, and they reminded him of the decree that was made and told the king that Daniel was praying to God in his upstairs room. And Daniel chapter 6, verses 13 to 14 says, Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, prays three times a day, pays no, t- no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. And you may think that he was distressed because he was super mad at Daniel, but it kind of, it kind of gives us a different impression when we read this because it says he was determined to rescue Daniel. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. See, the king realized that one of his greatest leaders was going to be put to death in the lion's den, all because the king was filled with pride for a moment with this decree that he put into action. See, there was nothing he could do as he had tried everything there was to save Daniel. That's what Scripture says. So verses 16 and 17 says, So the king gave the order... And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And at this point in the story, the king could not go back on what had happened. There was no way for him to go back. He went back to his palace. He couldn't sleep. Scripture says that no entertainment was brought to him that evening. No food was was eaten by him. He did not sleep. I can't imagine what this king was feeling. He probably feels guilt for the death of Daniel. He probably feels as though it's his fault that Daniel's dead, and he's going through emotional turmoil that is so bad that it doesn't stop all night long, and he's not even able to rest his head on his pillow at night because he's thinking he's blown it, because he's thinking that he can't be forgiven, that he went too far with something and he can't go back. Have you been there in life? Have you been there in life where you rest your head on your pillow at night and you just can't, uh, can't stand the thought of your own self? That you believe that maybe you're too far gone, that the decisions you made are too far gone, or that what you've done has separated you far too great from God and there's no possible chance that He could ever love you again. I want to encourage you today that you're not too far gone. I want to encourage you today that God's love And His mercy extends farther than you can even know. And not only does it not matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God will never love you any less. God's grace and His mercy amazes me. It really does. It extends farther than I can comprehend. How far does it extend? I couldn't exactly tell. I'm not exactly sure. But I know it's farther than I think it should. You know, a lot of times we're so judgmental about other people and our our thoughts and our actions toward other people are... You know, so terrible sometimes because we think that, you know, other people are the worst sinners ever. And then, you know, when the mirror gets pointed back at us, we realize, oh, I've got some work to do as well. And so grace and mercy does extend farther than we could comprehend. And you know, his mercies are new every morning. And uh, some of us are very grateful for that because some of us have used up a lot more mercies than others. (laughs) But his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness abounds. And it is so great. I had a, Hannah and I, um, we're high school sweethearts, and in high school I went to her church one time, and uh, she lived an hour away from me, and so I would go and visit her every once in a while. Well, we went to church, we were at Sunday school, and one of her Sunday school teachers said, you know, 
No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God will never love you any less. And do you know I only went to that Sunday school class at her church maybe a handful of times, and I will never forget what that woman said to me in that Sunday school classroom. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God will never love you any less. And that's the hope that we have in Christ. So as King Darius is feeling, as some of us feel from time to time, he sees the first light of dawn after a horrible night, and he hurries over to the lion's den to see what had happened. In fact, he even called out to Daniel to see if he was alive, just in this slim chance that he would have survived the evening. Daniel 6, 21 to 23 says, Daniel answered, and we're going to pause there for a moment because a miracle has taken place in this story. That Daniel, in fact, answered him, which means that he was surely alive in there. So going on, he was alive and answering back the king. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions. That should get us excited this morning. That God has shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me, Daniel says, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Amen. Amen. Do you know that God has shut the mouths of the lions that seek to destroy you today? You know that you've been given victory in the name of Jesus Christ? God has shut the mouths of the lions of debt. He shut the mouths of the lions of depression and anxiety and suicide and insecurity. He has shut the mouths of the lions of cancer. He has shut the mouths of the lions of an incurable disease in your life. And he's given you victory in the name that is above every other name. That is Jesus Christ. Somebody give praise to the Lord today. He is good. He has given you victory. He has given you victory. God is your protector in times of trouble. And not all the time will he prevent you from going through trials, however. It's not that he just plucked them out and saved them. It's as if Daniel had to go into the lion's den. That's what happened. God didn't pluck him out. But what happened was God sent his angel to be with him through that time. In the lion's den, it's really difficult to think about how God will protect you in all times because when that situation arises, we just wish it would end. That hard time, I don't like going through hard times. It's frustrating. But you know what's amazing is that he will help us through those times, and we're not alone through those times. There's days that we go really well, that things go really well, and we remember God's faithfulness, and we remember his mercy, we remember his goodness, and we remember his power. But when calamity strikes, it's almost as if we forget about the faithfulness and the goodness and the power that God has, and we may worry intensely about the issue that's going on. When really we just need to remember, Scripture says in Matthew 6 that, uh, for instance, God watches over the birds of the air, right? You've heard it. How much more does he watch out for you? And you know, that's why I, I quite often question why I got a bird feeder and bird feed this season. Because, you know, those birds come back and come back. And do you know how fast my bird seed gets eaten at home? Do you know it's so quick? And I get so mad at those birds. And I think Matthew 6 says that God will sustain them anyway. So what am I doing wasting money on bird seed? And then I have to fill up the bird seed again. And I think what's most frustrating is that I have to haul that huge bag of bird seed all the way over to that bird feeder again and again and again, when God already told me he's taking care of them. So what am I doing? 
but God's taking care of you. And it's natural to worry about these things when they come up in life. In fact, the problem is it's not needed to worry. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret about what's going on, but we just need to know that God's going to take care of us. In fact, it's not even necessary to worry. Worry is such a common reaction to a problem, but it doesn't need to happen. So my question to you is, what do you do when calamity strikes? My encouragement to you is to see things through the eyes of God and to see how the Bible helps us out at our point of need. I was, about 12 years ago, I was on a family vacation, and we were in Lac de Flambeau, Wisconsin, which is toward Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. If you've ever been there, some of you may have passed through there, and you know that that is the water park capital of the world. Why did they put the water park capital of the world for a place that is below 30 degrees for six months out of the year? Not really sure, but they decided to do this. And so in Wisconsin, you know that there's, there's this place called Lac de Flambeau, and it's around Wisconsin Dells. Our family decided to rent a pontoon. And so we could use it throughout our vacation to fish and boat and whatever else we wanted to do and just kind of enjoy our vacation. And so one morning, my Uncle Jason took, took me and my cousins out, out for a fishing trip. And so we woke up way too early in the morning, probably like 5 o'clock, and some of you are like, man, I get up at that time every day. Well, God bless you. I don't. <laughs> I had to get up super early on this morning with my cousins. It was a cold morning. It was a dark morning because it was before the sunrise, and it was a very windy morning outside. And it was, if I remember correctly, it was even raining, too. It was just terrible morning to go out fishing in the middle of a lake. And so we went anyway. We get into the middle of this lake, and our pontoon starts to rock, and I was getting real concerned. You know, the water started to push us around quite a bit more, and eventually we decided to get back to shore because it was getting pretty bad. And so I thought that we were probably going to sink our pontoon. And you might think, Pastor Dustin, pontoons don't sink. You're ridiculous. Until you've gone through what I have gone through at this next moment in this story. Because the waves kept coming and the boat started to get more rocky. And you know, pontoons are way above the water. It should be fine. But the front of the pontoon goes into the water. Okay? And so me and my, you know, we're running from side to side this thing trying to make sure it doesn't fall under the water. The front of the pontoon goes under. I'm not talking just a little bit. I'm talking the floor we were standing on was dipped into the water. And we, of course, ran to the back of the boat. And, of course, all the water came up right back with us. So we were about almost ankle deep in water on a pontoon in the middle of the lake. Your feet are supposed to be dry if you're on a pontoon in the middle of a lake. So we were really, really... It was not a good time for us, and so eventually we, ju- we just continued to try and make it back to shore. The boat didn't go under again, and it was fine, and we made it back alive. And I stand before you today not dead, and so it was very good, you know. And God was good. But, you know, I had quite the story to share with my family when we got back. You know, we had gone out for maybe an hour, so we were back at like 6.30 in the morning. And we get back to our family, and they're just waking up, you know, getting their morning coffee, and just kind of headed out to the living room, and I walk in, I'm like, Mom, I almost died. I almost, my life, you wouldn't have seen me again. It was so bad. And they're like, oh, you have no idea what you're talking about. You were just out boating, and no one knows truly how bad it was, except for me and my uncle and my cousins. And it was a day I'll never forget, one of the scariest moments of my life. Was it exhilarating? Yep. Yep, it was. But it's a situation I don't want to ever find myself in again. But you know, God protected us through that time. And in our lives, we all go through things that are 
terrible. We all go through things that are rocky at times. And so there's a man in the Bible named Gehazi who was a servant of a prophet named Elijah, Elisha. And he was in a scary situation too. And we find that situation in 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, verses 8 through 23. Let's take a look at that now. A quick synopsis of this tells you that the Israelites were against the people of Aram and they wanted their location as any opposing army does. If you're in a war, you want to find out where your opposing army is so that you can take them out. And so the king of Aram was setting up camp in a certain position. And scripture says the man of God, meaning Elisha, told the king of Israel where the Arams were setting up camp. So wherever the Arams would set up camp, Elisha told the king of Israel about it. And if you look at these verses, it's amazing because it doesn't say that Elisha heard from some secret spies about where they were setting up. All it says was that he reported where they were. This man was a prophet, and it's not written down how he got the information. So we can assume that Elisha heard this from the Lord, whether through prayer or a vision or a dream, or wherever he found this out, but it came from the Lord. And so the king of Aram got really upset because someone was telling the opposing army where they were, and they were getting very frustrated. So what they did was they asked people in the Aram army who was on Israel's side. They said, somebody from our Aram army has got to be telling them where our location is. Surely someone's telling them. And of course, you know, no one spoke up about it. They said, no, no one, no one is on, that, on their side. But they knew that Elisha, Scripture says, tells the king of Israel the words he speaks in his own bedroom. Now, this is probably just a figure of speech just to illustrate how Elisha tells the king of Israel everything and how Elisha hears from the Lord specific things. And so the king of Aram told his people to go and capture Elisha because he was giving away his army location to the king of Israel. So the king of Aram sent horses, sent chariots, and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now this is where Gehazi comes in, the servant of Elisha. Gehazi got up in the morning, went outside, and saw the great army, the horses, and the chariots of fire that were coming to capture Elisha. Not a really good thing to see in your morning stroll. Maybe he was watering the flowers, maybe he was walking their pet raccoon, whatever it was. I don't know, it was a different time frame. You never know what they had for pets. But he goes outside and he sees all these people. And so like any servant would do, Gehazi marches right back inside and says, Elisha, there's something going on out here, you ought to see it. We are surrounded, we're not going to be able to make it. And Elisha could have had many different emotions right now. If this was me, I'd have said... Let's start digging through the ground into the basement and see where we can get ourselves or something. like It was a scary situation for them, but Elisha decided to respond not in a reactive way, not, a, not in an upset way, not in a full of anxiety way, but what he says is, Gehazi, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed that Gehazi's eyes would be opened, and the Lord answered his prayer. You know, this was basically a prayer that Elisha prayed to help him see the reality of what was going on. Gehazi's eyes were opened by the Lord, and Gehazi saw the mountain behind Elisha full of horses and chariots of fire that were from the army of the Lord. And what an amazing thing this was, because Elisha was able to pray that Gehazi's eyes would be opened to see that the army of the Lord was on their side and was vastly bigger than anything that could come against them. 
God's heavenly army protected them. And sure enough, they did protect them. And Elisha prayed that the Aram army would be struck with blindness, and they were then blinded. Okay, so now you've got all these people on horses and chariots of fire that are blind. First of all, they're on a horse. It's pretty good to have vision when you're riding a horse. I haven't ridden too many horses, but even with eyes, I don't do well. So when we have somebody that's blind and also a whole army, this is bad news. Additionally, we have Elisha then leading these people to Samaria, and he brought them to the king of Israel. Now, mind you, these were the men that were coming to capture them. So Elisha asked the king if he should kill the people now that they had captured them. But instead, the king told Elisha, now that you've got these thousands of blind men here, why don't you feed them and send them back to where they came from? Well, that's kind of an odd request because they can't see. But okay, I'll follow your directions. Second Kings 6.23 says that this is, they had done this. They fed them, sent them on their way. And do you know they didn't come to raid the land of Israel ever again? I think not. I think not. You know, this one part of the story makes me think of how we are often faced head-on with the enemy. You know, the enemy likes to tempt us and take us down at our weakest point. And at this point in the story, I told you, Gehazi was just waking up. It was his morning stroll. He had just gone out early, and that's a pretty weak moment in his day. Even if you're a morning person, when you first wake up, it's a pretty vulnerable point. So he's got to be tired, and he might have goop still in his eyes or whatever else he's got going on. He's at a very weak point, and this army stands before him. This is a very difficult situation. And my question to you is, have you ever been at that point in your life where you're at a vulnerable situation and your first instinct is to not trust God? You know, the enemy wants to attack you at your weakest point as well and make you fall. John 10.10 says that the thief, the enemy, the devil, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says that I have come that they may have life. And have it to the full. That sounds like a better story to me. So I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. So let's break this down and make it specific. So for you, maybe it's you have a family situation that's really getting on your nerves. Or it's a family situation. Maybe you've got a lot of unforgiveness in your family. Maybe that's the issue you've got. Or, and, you, and you feel terribly angry at other people and at God for putting you in that situation. Or maybe it's just a spot in your life where you just feel like you're not worth it anymore. Maybe you just feel that you have so much emptiness inside and no matter where you turn, you just can't find hope. And it's okay to talk about those things. You know, I want to tell you today that you're not alone and that I've been there and that Gehazi was standing there and that he had to switch his view on his situation. He was probably thinking he was going to die that day. But God opened his eyes to the hills full of the army of the Lord ready to take charge. And... My encouragement to you today is you can tell your situation that your God is bigger, just as Elisha did. He prayed that Gehazi's eyes would be opened. He knew. He knew. Maybe Elisha saw it. Maybe he didn't have to see it because he knew what God had already behind him. But either way, Gehazi realized that God's power was much greater than the power of the enemy. So today, you can declare over your situation, whatever it is, that my God is bigger and that my God is stronger and that my God is greater and that my God is more powerful and you can speak scripture at the devil and say, devil, you have no place in my life. And Isaiah fifty four seventeen says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And 1 John 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. For you today, some of us in this room are going through difficult 
difficult times, you're hurting day in and day out and relief has not come. You just want the pain to stop. You just want relief to come. And I pray today that God opens your eyes to the bigger picture. And if anything, I encourage you to trust the Lord and realize that even though your world is falling apart around you, your salvation in Jesus is not. And if you never asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, it's as easy as praying a prayer and confessing your sin to God and believing in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And this is the hope that we have in life. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated His own love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That gives me a lot of hope because He was thinking about me at my deepest moment of sin, at my deepest moment of mistake. When Jesus was on that cross, He died for that moment. What comfort that gives me. You know, I often think about that before I start leading worship. I often think, Lord, I thank you for my salvation because you saved me and I was a mess. And Lord, you helped me and you redeemed me. And we got to remember that he does this for us, that at our deepest moment of sin, Christ died for us there. Your hope and your confidence in life comes from God because God will protect you through every trial. God is our protector. And you know, you may have heard in video announcements that today is Speed the Light Sunday. And so as we talk about God protecting us, we can also talk about how God protects our missionaries as they go into the places that they've been called to. You know, God is their protector as they go into the mission field because they need God's guidance. They need God's protection. Some of them are going to places that are just absolutely dangerous where they're not even allowed to preach the gospel, but they go and they do what they do. It's amazing. They need God's provision as they go on the mission field. And you see, as today is Speed the Light Sunday, we're going to take a moment and focus on this awesome organization that raises money for missionaries all over the world to have vehicles to get them around the area that God has called them to. I mean, these vehicles are all over the world that, that uh, our students raise money for every week. That's another thing, too. Our students, every single week in youth group, give money to Speed the Light. We take a moment not only to give financially to Speed the Light, but we also pray for our missionaries. We pray for those ones that are sad because they're missing their families because they've been gone for two, three years doing what God has called them to do. And they just need comfort from God because they miss their parents or they miss their, um, their kids or they miss their, you know, whatever age they are. They miss their family. It's hard to be away. And so not only is it a financial thing, but for us, it's just getting the heart of missions and helping us to understand that we need to pray for our missionaries. Speed the Light also provides missionaries with sound system equipment. This helps them to project the gospel of Jesus. We have our ushers come forward as we prepare for an offering for Speed the Light this morning. You see, at this very moment, Ohio Speed the Light is short on funds. And when, we, when I first uh, came to Ohio, or when Pastor Nate, our district youth director, first came to Ohio and assumed the role, the, the state of Ohio was about $500,000 behind on Speed the Light. And here's how this happens. What happens is different missionaries will go out into the field and they will ask Ohio Speed the Light, hey, I've got this project, I've got, I need a vehicle, I'm wondering if you can accept it. And of course, you're not going to turn down missionaries, so they say yes. And so as, as they've continued to request vehicles, and you guys can come on forward this morning, thank you so much. As they request vehicles, um, they continue to request them and request them. Well, the funds have not been matching all the requests that have been coming in. And so it's been so cool to see just within the past three to four years that that number has gone from negative 500,000 to about negative 150 or 200,000. And that is just amazing to see the growth that is happening and the faithfulness of our students in giving, leading the way in Speed the Light. It's just a really cool thing to be able to do that. 
So we can be the hands and feet of Jesus together, and um, we're going to take an offering this morning. You can make the checks out to Byesville Assembly of God, and we'll make out one check to Speed the Light. Thank you so much, and we'll pray before we take it this morning. Dear Jesus, we're grateful for our missionaries. We're grateful for every person that is on the mission field, and I pray that you would use this money to bring in vehicles, to bring in sound system equipment for these people, these missionaries, so that they can do what you've called them to do effectively. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's awesome that God is doing this great thing in Speed the Light. And so today I want to encourage us. It's important to remember that no matter what comes our way, God is our protector. And He will be with us every step of the way. I thank you for giving to Speed the Light today. And want to encourage you that God is our protector. Let's pray as we close this morning. Dear God, we're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful for your protection in our lives. We know that we can trust you. And our attention is on you, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to remember this in our deepest moment of need, that you are our protector, you are our strength, our fortress in time of trouble. God, I pray that we remember this every day and that we give you the praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.